the path doesn't have to be straight. We have a lot of information that we Value courage. You're listening to the We Get Real AF podcast, exploring the future with trailblazing women and girls in emerging tech, XR, AI, and futurism. Science and technology are reshaping our world at lightning speed. Engage in conversations that'll spark your curiosity and challenge what you thought possible. Inventing tomorrow starts now. And here are your hosts, Vanessa Alava and Sue Robinson. Welcome to We Get Real AF, everyone. I'm Vanessa Alava. And I'm Sue Robinson. We invite you to join us for smart conversations with amazing guests every single week by subscribing to the We Get Real AF podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on social. Our handle is at We Get Real AF. And we've also just started a Twitch channel where some of our recent content is being played. And you can find that at We Get Real AF on Twitch. Yay. Look at us go. I know. <laughs> Our list is getting longer and longer of the places we shop. I know. Today we're joined by Teresa Drew, Deputy Director at the STEM Next Opportunity Fund, a venture philanthropy fund whose mission is bringing inclusive STEM learning opportunities to children, focusing on gender equity in STEM careers. Teresa is currently leading their Million Girls Moonshot Initiative, a program that will inspire and prepare the next generation of innovators by engaging one million girls in STEM learning opportunities through after school and summer programs over the next five years. It's no secret that Sue and I are passionate about closing the gender gap in underrepresented spaces and paving a new path for future female leaders. And it all starts by reaching and empowering our youth with the resources to thrive. So Teresa, we are so excited to finally have you with us because this Yay. is a long time coming. Yes. You know, we, we spoke to you like months and months and months ago and you're super busy doing all of these wonderful things. So we're so excited. Well, thank you. I am honored to be here, super excited to chat and uh, tell you a little bit about the work that we're doing and why we're doing it and, and who we're working with and, and how lots of other people can get involved. Fantastic. Well, where can our listeners find you online? Let's start there. Well, a few different places. So they can, of course, find us on our website, um, stemnext.org. Um, the Million Girls Moonshot has its own website. So that's milliongirlsmoonshot.org. And then I am on LinkedIn. Um, Teresa, you can, it's Teresa Drew, LinkedIn, and um, on Twitter at Teresa L. Drew, and also at Girls Moonshot. Awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's dive in closing the gender gap in STEM. Um, explain that why it's important to fix and kind of get into some of the, the cool things that you guys are all doing. I know you all talk to a lot of really amazing women in tech and they're dedicated and you all are passionate about this. And when we think about, you know, 25% of the computing workforce right now is made up of women. We've got a long way to go just to hit parity. And then when we think about of those 25%, only 3% are black women and 2% are Latinx women. And that is, you know, frankly, pathetic. The work that I do at STEM Next Opportunity Fund and, and through the Million Girls Moonshot is really focused on STEM learning beyond the classroom. So that means where would a young person experience STEM opportunities in the library, at the rec centers, um, at after school or um, before school programs, summer camps, um, anywhere that happens outside of school. And we do that for one main reason, and we call it the opportunity gap. So 
what we know is that by sixth grade, most kids, well, all kids spend 80% of their time is outside of school. That's a, that's a lot of hours that someone isn't engaged in the formal education uh, process. Young people from communities of um, affluence or middle-class communities have experienced upwards of 6,000 hours more enrichment activity than um, a young person from a, um, a community of poverty. And that equates to about five years of a learning gap. That is significant. So that's just when you have the haves and the have nots. So we're thinking, okay, we have a lot of time when young people are outside of their classroom. And if we can make sure that that time is spent, you know, engaging their minds, giving them fun and exciting activities that are high quality, that are growing their skills and increasing their belief in themselves, their confidence and their STEM identity, uh, we're taking a advantage of those hours and really helping to put them on a path towards economic prosperity. So Black and Latinx communities, young people are 75% of those young people are coming from communities uh, of poverty. It's a huge disparity in access and opportunity. So we have a lot of work to do, a lot of hours to fill with really high quality um, learning. So can you give us an idea of what that after-school program might look for a kid? It's a safe space. Um, they might be getting tutoring. They can get their hands dirty. They can build a space module that they can, you know, drop off the balcony and see what happens. And they get to explore and they get to follow interests that are exciting to them. And this is really important for girls. So the more that we can create those kinds of opportunities where they're working with high quality content, the educators are informed, they know the strategies that are, that are engaging for young people. And then we're actually looking at the data that tells us whether it works. It's, it's, a, it's a good win-win experience for everyone. What do the promotion efforts look like on for the program? Um, I'm, you mentioned educators, so obviously they're learning about the Million Girls Moonshot in mm -hmm. school. But what other things are you doing um, as a, as an organization to get the word out to to the children, especially? This initiative is unique. It is a, it is a collective impact type of approach. So what we do is we work with partners all across the country. So. We work with funding partners and corporations like Intel and Lockheed Martin and Qualcomm, Panasonic, um, the list goes on, and then other foundations. And so we work with these corporations because they share our vision. They know that they need a diverse workforce uh, because it, um, it, you know, it unlocks an untapped potential of women. And um, so they're working with us to help us create these systems that are eliminating the barriers for young people to experience STEM learning. We work with the after-school community so that those educators who are working directly with young people across the country have the content, the curriculum, the training, the tools, the supplies, the access to role models, the access to mentors, um, and then a system set up so that they can help support those young people through those experiences over time. That's what we're trying to build. So this is really not just about us going into one program in Dallas. It's about us going into 
a community and helping to lift up all the programs so that all young people, especially girls, are able to have those experiences um, and that the teachers are confident in delivering is we know STEM is intimidating. So um, we were, you know, again, we're not doing the direct delivery through this program. We're lifting up and building up a community of support that changes and shifts the way that the educators work. And then also then influences the way that young people experience their STEM learning and, and are ultimately, you know, excited to, to pursue a STEM journey. We hear a lot about the benefits of single sex education at certain stages throughout a child's development, just because girls tend to be more themselves and more open and more exploratory and braver in a single sex environment. So all that to say, do you see that in your program? I mean, how do you encourage girls to feel safe and comfortable and want to participate in these programs? Because, you know, just as they find in the classroom, they're going to be in there with boys who maybe are more rambunctious or uh, more forward and they're engaging with the activities. How do you address that? So that's a great question. Uh, one of the, the, I would say the main goal of the Million Girls Moonshot is to cultivate and empower 1 million more girls with an engineering mindset. We call them the engineering mindset, 10 habits of practice. And they are a set of skills, attitudes, and uh, values that, um, come with an experience that, that would, that would embody this. So it would be like teamwork, um, you know, the, the standard engineering design process, like prototyping, learn from failure, reiterate. Um, but, but where we're also bringing in things like real world problems. Um, so we know that these are girl friendly strategies. The after school space is co-ed it's not just girls. Right. So the girls aren't the only ones who are actually benefiting from this, this programming. So you have a teacher in an after-school program who's creating an equitable and inclusive space. Well, it's benefiting the girl. And it's also the boys in that class are experiencing what it looks like for their peers, girls, to be involved in their pro projects they're all working towards the same agenda and they're seeing each other be successful and supporting one another in that effort. And I think this is really unique and it's really important for all of us today because ultimately those boys who are in that class, in that after school program with those girls and having that experience, they're all going to be working together someday. And if we are able to shift the mindsets of those young boys today, and when they're all in the workplace tomorrow, it's just going to get better and better. We can get there in computer science. We can get there in engineering. We were just having a conversation today, Sue and I, about um, learned behavior. And I think mm -hmm. that it's so important, this change of mindset, not just for the educators, but for the classmates being gen uh, the boys, the, the gender mm -hmm. that has kind of had the superiority, if you will, within our culture. Um, for what you just said, I think in years past and generations past, um, it has, it's what they know is what they've seen. So to be able to see that at a young age, that girls can do what we do, we are human beings and we're equal and we all bring something unique to the table just because human beings are all unique and different. Mm -hmm. That's where you start seeing the change. And it starts here with our youth. Mm -hmm. I think it's empowering for all the kids who, 
who are experiencing um, this type of programming. I mean, when you create an equitable space, I mean, you're unleashing, you know, talent in so many people. So we have girls, we have non-binary youth, gender expansive youth, Mm -hmm. um, black youth, indigenous youth, Latinx. We have a lot of people who have been left out of the STEM economy, just STEM thinking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so if we can like kind of shift the way people think and create the space where we really are truly supporting one another. So a teacher who teaches in an after school or summer program, they are typically not trained STEM professionals. So it's very intimidating for them to say, oh, go do a STEM lesson. And you're like, well, what? I don't know anything. I don't, I don't know how to do that. Well, what we do know is that with a little bit of background in um, how to uh, ask questions of young people and how to support them working together in teams and um, persisting through failure, those types of strategies alone will help the educator be more confident in, in providing a STEM-based lesson or activity to young people. And then what that does is it'll, and then you start to bring in, maybe you bring in a role model and you bring in a role model who's a woman, who is a, a woman, um, who, a woman of color. And then you're now automatically creating a sense of uh, a better sense of belonging and identity for those, those girls in the classroom, because they're seeing someone that maybe looks like them and they are with an educator who feels confident in giving them the material that they're gonna be um, doing. And I think if we do that often, we do it early and we make it hands-on. The word STEM in general, I think can be kind of intimidating to so many mm-hmm. people because it feels so niche. So having, having teachers feel empowered that they can wrap their hands around these topics, these subjects, these projects, they can get messy passes that confidence onto the kids. So, so I really love that. Um, and how are the families, how are the parents, especially in these communities that have not had these resources available mm-hmm. to them before we talked about some of the economically disadvantaged and people of color communities, how are they responding to having this? I really feel like just in general, the family, family stakeholder group has been fairly disenfranchised from the education system um, as a whole over time. So what we're able to do with the moonshot is help that help the educators. And so for us, it's after school space, think through how do we incorporate families as a partner with us in the programming? And really that's like the first step to developing a culturally responsive program that brings everybody together is that you're working with the community stakeholders. You're engaging the families um, directly as you're designing the program that's going to be serving their, their child. And you're also able to, during that process, you're learning about what would would meet the needs of the family and the young person, but you're also educating and empowering that family to become an advocate, a cheerleader, a broker, a champion of that young person. And those are, those are things that I think a lot of families don't see themselves um, maybe as even qualified. So if you are a family and nobody in your family went to college, 
and you have never met anyone who's a scientist or a computer scientist, especially, let's say, they've never even, I don't know, who's a coder? They've never met a coder in their lives. They're working two, three jobs, and they don't see a path for their, their child to become computer scientist. So for that family to be able to say to that young person, you know what, you can do this. We know because again, research has told us that encouragement is like a number one factor in uh, a young person's persistence on a STEM journey, especially for girls and especially for youth of color. To have those champions um, at a young age is so, so important. So yeah, and that just carries through Mm -hmm. (laughs) into your career. For sure. It's so, it's so important. And, and it's really, it's really like a young girl and having her dad, maybe who, you know, a lot of dads historically maybe don't see their, their girls pursuing STEM because they've never seen that either. So that's like really powerful voice to have dad say to a daughter, you can do this. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. That's huge. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Sue, I would love to hear more about Teresa's own career journey, unless you have more questions regarding the program. Nope. I would love to learn how you got into this space, (laughs) (laughs) which is so funny because I know that you're you're so humble. You know, Teresa's just traditionally, every time we've spoken to her, you know, I'm not a tech person. I'm not a tech person, (laughs) but you're doing so many amazing things in tech. And I just think that your story is unique because it shows that you need every type of um, personality and, and way of thinking to achieve what you're achieving. I started out as a young kid growing up in the mountains, rural, not a lot of opportunity, definitely did not have anybody who was in any STEM field in my, um, in my family. Um, first person, you know, in my immediate family to go to college, my went to community college and, um, and was going to be an environmental biologist. That was like my dream, what I wanted to do. And I could not get through chemistry and it was intimidating. There was no one who said you could do this. Um, the teachers weren't saying it. I didn't have anybody in my family who was saying it. There were no role models, no mentors. There was nothing. Want, want that's it. It's done. And I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get past it. So I'm not an environmental biologist, but I did become a teacher. So (laughs) I decided to switch and went into education because I really like learning, even though I couldn't get past chemistry. Well, what I know now is that I actually probably could have gotten past chemistry if I had somebody who said, Teresa, this is, it's going to be hard work, but yes, you can do it. Well, now I know that, but I didn't know it then. So I went into my career as a teacher and if I kept thinking, what is this like magic that we can give to young people that's going to help them want to continue learning and be excited about the world and want to continue solving problems and exploring. And I think actually STEM learning is kind of a magical, it could be a magical hook it's exciting. It gives you the opportunity to explore, create, blow things up, put things together and play. And it's fun. And, you know, and you have a path to economic prosperity doing it. And then I thought, oh my gosh, the out of school space, it's again, it's this space where there are a lot of kids 
and they could be doing a lot of really fun stuff. And to me, it was sort of like this moment where everything came together and I thought, I want to be in that space. And I think we can actually make a difference for young people here. We're able to do that through out of school and after school programs and with really fun, exciting uh, content partners and uh, just bringing opportunities that kids have the opportunity to see, see the potential in themselves and then become it. I love that. And you know, two things. One is I totally relate to you on chemistry. (laughs) 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 That I still have PTSD from high school chemistry. That was was a killer for me too. I know. And, you know, we talk about this a lot on our show. Why are we still teaching so many of the subjects that are hard or, you know, maybe more dry? Why are we still teaching them the way we did 30, 40, 50 years ago? Right. When we have all these new tools and to your point, Teresa, I feel like STEM needs are rebrand because it is hands-on. It is creative. It is blowing things up or preventing things from blowing up and understanding how to do that. And, and it is such an interesting, and can be such a fun area where creative minds are needed, which is the A, the arts sort of component in STEM and and STEAM. So um, yeah, I just think that we have to keep reminding people STEM isn't just this, this hard, like with a super brainy person who sits in the back row and has their nose buried in a chemistry book all the time. It's for creative minds and it's for people who want to be hands-on and who want to solve problems in new, creative, innovative, ingenious ways. I couldn't agree with you more. We've had a whole episode about rebranding STEM and STEAM. Oh my gosh. and, um, (laughs) and, And I feel like you know, you are doing that. You are doing that um, one child at a time and one program at a time in different uh, cities around the nation. And I, I, I'm so excited for it. And I think that to Sue's point, when kids get in there and get messy and can can learn through failure. Failure has been such a bad word for so long. And if we could just use that as an opportunity to say, this worked, this didn't, let me try that again, but let's try this instead and just make something better because of the failures that you, that you're documenting along the way. That's exciting. Just learned another way not to do something. <laughs> that's exactly. All it is, right? exactly. And, and we have like a really unique, there's a unique moment in time right now, especially after, you know, coming out of the pandemic or let's hope we're coming out of it. Um, but you know, what we have seen shift is that the education system, the in-school and out-of-school system just had to completely do a pivot. And we're seeing a new kind of relationship between the in-school, you know, education system and the out-of-school system. And they're working together in a much different way. And it's really exciting for someone like me to be able to see because, there's opportunity with the federal government funding that goes to the state level funding that's going to school districts and communities um, to support learning across the spaces. So that's in school, out of school, before school, after school, summer, all of those, they're, they're working together now and it's really exciting. And I think to the extent we can, you know, lift up the after school space as a, as a viable learning space that we know excites, engages and prepares, inspires young people to, to dive into those subjects that in school, we need them to be focused on because they are hard. They require some grit and persistence and they have to, they, they're going to have to take algebra to be able to pursue computer science if they're going into college. I think, you know, 
the time when you have to pivot is the time when you can be the most innovative and new things are born out of those times. So I certainly hope that's, that's the case here. Are we ready for a lightning round? Okay, I'm ready. All right, lightning round are just a few questions that we like to ask our guests to get to know them on a, on a more personal note. Some of them are really, really fun and others are just, you know, uh, kind of in line of what the, what we've been talking about all along. Okay. So the first one is, um, how do you define success? I would love to have more girls go confidently into their future, feeling that they can discover, innovate, create, explore, and be a contributor. That would be success to me. What are three pieces of advice that you would give your younger self? Okay. I would say, well, one, I would say stick out that darn chemistry course. <laughs> <laughs> and that chemistry is going to be in there. Somewhere. <laughs> yes. I would say you could do that. Just, just do it. You could do it. Um, I would say travel more. I really love to explore and I would explore all over more places all over the world if I could earlier. And um, I would, I would go backpacking and I will tell you why. I started doing backpacking older as an older adult now, and I have done a lot of different exercises and over the, over the years. And I love it because you can only get to some of the most amazing places in the world. If you walk there Mm -hmm. and seeing a picture, it just, it's not enough. And, you know, you can't fly there. You can't run there. You can't ride a bike there. You can only walk to some of these places and it is amazing. And it opens your eyes to how amazing the world is, how small we are in the universe. And, Uh, it's just such a cool elemental type of experience. That's what I would tell myself. I just took a trip out West uh, with my daughter and exactly what you're saying, Teresa, we were in New Mexico and Colorado. And, and I mean, some of those places, you're right. You have to, you just have to hit the trail with your water bottle in your backpack. And that's the only way you'll get to see places, but they're so incredible and, and they're so quiet and the majesty of nature. It's just it's just a reset for your whole perspective. So mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. All right. A fun one. What okay. celebrity would you cast to play you in a movie? I have no idea. I have never once thought of that. I really like Gwyneth Paltrow. Could we pick, can we pick her? She's you cool. I, and, and she's got, and I like her, I like her skincare line and she's kind of a, I don't know. She's interesting to me. Maybe her. Good choice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Describe the future in one word. Untapped potential. Yeah. What myths about women in STEM and STEAM would you like to dispel? I think it would be that I think you can have a career and you can be a mother in STEM. Mm. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. All righty. Last one. Fill in the blank. Okay. Blank like a girl. Oh, Oh, this is a really hard one too. Gosh, you guys have good questions. Um, do we have to pick one thing? I mean, can't I just say everything like a girl? I mean, yes, I wanted to say everything there's, <laughs> I can't think of one thing that only a girl should be able to do or that we would have to do. I don't want to, I would, I would say, I want to say everything. I'm going to okay. put it out there. I think a woman can do anything she sets her mind to, and it's our job to make sure that she has all the tools, the training, the access to it. 
I love it. Uh-huh. I love it. <laughs> Sets it up beautifully. There it Lisa, is. Thank you so much for your time. Again, we've been so excited to have you on for a long time. I'm so happy that we finally got a chance to, to talk and document it and to share it with the world. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for sharing our stories. It's really exciting to be part of a group of women in tech. So I'm excited to talk with you both. Thank you so much. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Get Real AF. We're excited to bring you the voices of amazing women and girls who are shaping the future for good. Please help us spread the WeGraph mission of supporting women and girls in emerging tech and science. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WeGetRealAF. And visit our website at www.wegetrealaf.com. Don't forget to like, comment, and to subscribe to the podcast. We also want to give a big shout out and thanks to Sam McLean for providing sound production for the show. You can find Sam on Instagram at McLean Sounds, that's M-C-L-E-A-N-S-O-U-N-D-S, and to our voiceover artist, Veronica Horta, for her show introduction. You can find Veronica on LinkedIn by searching for Veronica Horta, H-O-R-T-A. We'll meet you back here next time for another great conversation about high tech with cool women.